faith, take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's good to be in church this morning. Thank the Lord for the freedom that we have, amen, to be in His house. 1 John chapter 4. In our text today, John is turning from warning against false teachers like we saw last week, to now reminding us to love the brethren. And uh, we know that John hits heavily on this topic. We've seen it several times in this book, but every time that he, he goes into this topic, he goes a little bit deeper into it, and he provides more insight. And some of you guys are probably thinking right now, oh man, here we go again, we're going to talk about loving the brethren. And we are, because we're going through verse by verse. And that's what we do here. We go through verse by verse, and whatever the Lord has us talk about, that's what we're going to talk about. And it is kind of fitting to talk about the subject of love on Mother's Day, of course, because a mother's love is, of course, very incredible, and it's a wonderful thing. But you just don't know what you're going to talk about when you're going through verse by verse. Uh, who knows, someday we may talk about hell on Mother's Day. <laughs> you just never know. This is how it goes. Uh, but look, the fact that John continues to bring up the subject of love for other believers, it shows us how much we need to be reminded of it. We need it. It shows how easy it is to fall into complacency and how easy it is to lack love for one another because we're naturally degenerate, we're naturally uh, self-centered. So him repeating himself, that proves that to be true. So while our love for one another, since we're Christians, it should be obvious and it should be instinctive, so often because of our self-centeredness, it is not. So as believers, uh, loving one another as God loves us is something that we must work on very often in order to be more like Christ. So again, that's what John's talking about, so that's what we're going to talk about. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 7. And before we get into this, I just want to warn you, we're going to be going to a lot of places in the Bible this morning, more than normal, so get ready. I'm warning you now. Brace yourself. Uh, we're going to look to see what the Word has to say. But look at 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your love and how deep the Father's love is for us. I thank you uh, for the gift of mothers that you've given each of us here, Lord. I, I pray that you'll uh, help each one here to feel honored, Lord, and that you'll give them a good day. And God, I just thank you for your word and how powerful it is. I pray that you'll help each one of us here to consider the great love that you have given us and and just in turn, that you'll help us to love one another more. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and for giving us the freedom to come out here this morning. In your holy name, amen. A few common phrases that you'll hear in our culture today is express yourself, be who you are, 
allow what's inside to come out. We all probably remember last week when I was uh, talking about that false teacher and his incorrect interpretation of John chapter 11. And when he was talking about Lazarus, that was one of the things that he said, just be yourself, right? Well, often that phrase, when it is thrown around or it's used, it's used to encourage sin. It's used to encourage an ungodly lifestyle. But understand this morning that if you are a child of God, I want to encourage you to express what is inside of you. In our text, what we just read here, John tells us that God has placed something great inside of each person that belongs to Him. And what has He placed inside of us? He's placed His love inside of us. So we will see today that we are to express this great love of God outwardly to others. And the message title this morning is simply expressing what's inside. So as we... Look at expressing what's inside. We're going to see three truths of God's love that John shares in this passage. And and look, don't get bored with the subject of love. Because again, like I said, we need this. You may know a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. But hey, guess what? You still need it. And by the way, I still need it. We all can work on loving one another more. Amen? We all should be saying amen to that because we all can work on it more. But these three truths that John shares of God's love, it'll help help us gain uh, a deeper knowledge of real biblical love. So this morning, we'll look at three main points that include the following. For one, we're going to see God's love is in us. Secondly, we'll see God's love was revealed to us. And thirdly, God's love is to be shown from us. So let's go ahead and look at the first truth that John reveals about God's love, and that is the fact that God's love is in us. And by the way, when I say us, I'm talking about those that are saved. If you're here today and you're in Christ, His love is in you. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We see in this passage, John, once again, he uses that word, beloved. And as I stated last week, this means the people that he is addressing... They are esteemed, and they are dear to him. He cares about these people very much. And he actually uses that word also in verse 11. And then he instructs these believers by saying, hey, let us love one another. Now the grammar of that phrase, it shows that this action of loving one another, it may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. So as he says, hey, let us love one another, that shows that as believers in Christ, it is possible to lack in the area of showing love. So consider this this morning. Have you ever had that problem? Where you just lack love for another believer in Christ? I think it'd be safe to say that we all have. But then he makes a statement that gives these believers, and each one of us here, no excuse to lack love for one another. He tells us why we should love one another. What is the reason? Why should we love each other? Look at verse 7 again. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. So this statement that love is of God, it simply means that love comes from God. So he has given us this love as his children. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's given it to us. You know, we often emphasize 
The fact that God has given us his love, and thank God he did. We're going to look at that. We often emphasize the fact that God loved us enough that he gave us his only begotten son. We often talk about the fact that he loves you and I as his children. We like to talk about his love when it has to do with us. But John says here in our text, and Paul tells Timothy, that God has given each of us love, and he's given us the ability to love other believers. And the love that we have, it comes from God. It has been placed inside of our hearts. Understand, if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, that you have been given the Holy Spirit of God, which includes the fruit of the Spirit, which includes love. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5. And check out verse 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is, notice that word, given unto us. So, this love that is given, it has been given to us from the Holy Spirit, and love originates from God. And truly, without knowledge of God, there is no love. No person that is walking on the earth, knows true and selfless love apart from God because God defines love. He is the originator of love and He is love. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at the last part of verse 7. It says in the last part of verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4, And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, because God has given us His Holy Spirit, and therefore, love for other believers at the moment of salvation, John says that all those that are born of God, they love other believers. And born of God, it simply means that uh, those that have been given spiritual life in that new nature. He says, he that loveth is born of God, and knoweth not. However, he that loveth not knoweth not God. So here we go again, another test of salvation. As that word knoweth here, it comes from a Greek word that means to possess a peculiar knowledge. So John is stating, hey, if you actively love other believers, then you have this peculiar knowledge of God. And he also states that if we do not possess this love for other believers, hey, guess what? You're not saved. You're not of God. Why is this? Because love does not only come from God, it's a major part of who He is. Look at that last part of verse 8 again. The last four words, it says this, For God is love. You know, certain attributes define who we are. You may think of somebody, and then automatically, specific attributes about that person come to your mind. You may think of somebody and you just automatically think, man, they're a kind person, or, or maybe they're a rude person, or maybe uh, they're caring, uh, they're loving people. Well, John here, he defines God in a few ways in this book. In 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 5, he writes that God is light. If you were to read 1 John 5, and we're going to get there at some point, a good summary of 1 John chapter 5 is the fact that God is life. And then now here we see that John defines God in the way that he says God is love. So anybody that claims to be saved, but they do not love other believers, they're not saved at all. They are not of God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 9 says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until 
now. One of the most incredible examples of a complete life change, really uh, a, a complete change of, of, of a heart that was full of hate for other believers and then changed to love for other believers, I believe is found in the Apostle Paul. You remember, everybody knows this probably, and if not, well, here's a lesson for you. Paul, when he was Saul, he hated Christians. He persecuted them. He persecuted many in the church, and he thought he was doing God a favor. But then, thank God, on the road to Damascus, God intervened. God showed him the error, the error of his ways, and guess what? Paul turned to Christ. So prior to salvation, Paul worked tirelessly to see Christians get killed. But then after salvation, he worked tirelessly to see people come to know Christ. And praise God for that. And you know what? He even testified of his love for other believers. It was a total life change. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'm, I'm not going to read all these verses. I just want to give you a glimpse into what I'm saying here. Now if, if Paul... After he got saved, if he continued to kill Christians, guess what? We could say he's not saved. Okay? Again, this is a test. So this was not the way Paul was. Though. Let's look at how he was with, these, with believers now. Look at Acts chapter 20. Verse 20. He says, And how I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. going to just skip around a little bit here. Verse 29 says this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now look at verse 37. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. Man, tell me this. Does that look like somebody that hates other Christians? Absolutely not. Uh, here he was giving a farewell address to the Ephesian elders. And I just wanted to show you those verses here because it just gives us a really good idea of the drastic change that happened in Paul's life from Acts chapter 7 to Acts chapter 20. His love for other believers was evident. And by the way, he didn't just say, oh, I love my fellow believers. And man, how many times have I heard that? And then their actions prove otherwise. No, no. Paul didn't say, oh, I love everybody. No. He proved it. He spent himself for them. He warned them day and night with tears. Do you do that for somebody that you don't love? No way. What else did he do? He loved them dearly. And look, when God changes our hearts and we're born of God, he gives us his love. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says, Ye are taught of God to love one another. So this love does not come naturally. The children of God have it inside them. Because God has put it there. So John here, in our text, he reveals another truth of God's love in the next two verses. Let's go back there to 1 John chapter 4. After John says, hey listen, this great love is inside of you and you ought to love one another. He then goes on to tell them how great this love of God is. So secondly, we see 
Not only is God's love inside us, but secondly, God's love was revealed to us. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 9. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John tells us here that the love of God was manifested towards us, and then he prepares to tell us how. And by the word, that word manifested here, it comes from a Greek word that simply means previously hidden, but now it's revealed. So God's love was previously hidden, but now it was made visible. Now it was made public. How was it made public? Because God sent his only son into the world. Now, under the old covenant, know this, God was hidden behind rituals and ceremonies. Now, some people still try to hide him behind those today, but... uh, Jesus Christ, through Christ, He has been revealed to us as He was God in the flesh. Notice in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4, He says, In this was manifested the love of God because that God sent His only begotten Son. That word sent is key. This word sent, it means ordered. You know that Christ was ordered by God to come into this world. He says, so, he says as much also in John chapter 6, verse 57. He says, the living Father hath sent me. Why did he do this? Well, look at the end of verse 9. Why did he get sent? Why did his only begotten Son get sent into the world? It says that we might live through him. And just as Jesus said in John eleven twenty six, 26, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Thank the Lord for that. Look, this life... That God gives us as his children. It is true and blessed and endless eternal life in the kingdom of God. So God loved us enough that he sent Christ to die for us so that we could have this endless life. But then John expounds on this great love in a deeper way in verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You understand that God doesn't love us and did not love us because we loved Him. You get that? He loved us before we loved Him. And and in fact, before salvation, our minds were hostile towards God. As Romans 8, 7 says, the carnal mind is enmity with God. Yet still, Christ loved us, despite that fact. This is real agape love. I want you to understand this morning, and we're going to see this, that He didn't just send His Son for three years on the earth, just to simply be an example to us. He didn't send His Son to earth just for a short time to be a teacher. He went above and beyond that. Look again at 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 10. He says, Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Why did He send His Son? To be the propitiation for our sins. Hey, listen. He loved us first, and He proved it, By ordering his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's an interesting word, isn't it? Propitiation. Say that three times fast. I think we should have a little competition. See who can do that. Just for a while, take a five-minute break. Some of you guys seem like you're falling asleep and I'm losing you. I don't want to lose you. Say with me now, okay? Propitiation. Interesting word. But it tells us how God revealed and proved his love for us. 
it explains how deep his love runs for us. And this same thing is repeated, is, is also mentioned in Romans chapter 3. Let's go there. Again, like I said, get ready. We're going to go a lot of places, especially in this point, because there's a lot of places to go to. So go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 24. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath sent, set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say... At this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, propitiation, there it is again. Now, what does this word mean? That word propitiation, it comes from a Greek word that means appeasement. Jesus Christ was sent to earth, or as Romans says, he was set forth to be the propitiation or the appeasement for our sin. He was set forth, he was revealed, he was made public, he was manifest, as John says, in order to be the appeasement for our sin. Now, back in uh, the Old Testament, this word propitiation, while it is not in the Old Testament, it does go back to the Old Testament. The mercy seat in the tabernacle, or the temple in the Old Testament, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of the sin offering on the mercy seat. And it was at that time that God's righteous wrath regarding the sin of, his, of the people of Israel, it was propitiated. It was uh, appeased as innocent blood was shed. So God, His wrath was appeased and it was satisfied with the blood that was shed for the sin of the people for a Year. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And this is an example of this truth. Don't miss what is, what is being said here. This is important. Look at Leviticus chapter 16. And look at verse 14. It says in Leviticus chapter 16, starting with the verse 14, speaking of the high priest here, it says, And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do that with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. And sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So man, look at that there. there right there it is. Sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat and they would be atoned for for one year. Now let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. So this was an Old Testament ritual. This is what they would have to do in the Old Testament to have their sins forgiven for a year. But thank God for Jesus Christ, as we'll see in Hebrews chapter 9. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. 
if you were to read beforehand, it, kind of, it talks about this, about the, the past, uh, uh, kind of what we read in Leviticus about how they would do this back in the Old Testament. But now look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Those first two, first two words there is awesome. It says, but Christ, but Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, as we saw in Leviticus, but by his own blood, he entered in once, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And look at verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament by that means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Man, this is awesome. Okay? So in Leviticus... Back in the Old Testament, they had to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and then their sins would be atoned for for one year. But thank God, because of Jesus Christ, as he is the ultimate high priest, he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, all of God's wrath was placed on him due to our sins. And guess what? It only happened one time. Amen. Thank God. One time, once for all. 1 Peter 2, 24 says that he bore our sins on his own body on that tree. So as he bore our sins, it appeased the wrath of God. And again, thank the Lord, not only for a year, but forever. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ hath, uh, also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So listen, understand, if you have received Christ, as your personal Savior, and you have trusted in Him, you are not going to experience the wrath of God because it was all placed on Jesus Christ. His sacrifice removed all guilt. His sacrifice removed all sin for all those that trust in Him because He is our propitiation. He is our appeasement. So the death of Christ, thank God it gives us life. And because of this, his children will never experience the wrath of God. You want proof? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. There are some Christians today that are worried that we are going to, at some point, experience the wrath of God. But I'm here to tell you, it's not so. If you're a child of God, you're not going to experience his wrath because it was all placed on Christ. Look at verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 9, it says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. With him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another. I lost my place there. Even as also ye do. Hey man, look, isn't that awesome? God's children will not receive his wrath because Jesus Christ took it all at Calvary when he died. Amen. Hey, you ought to comfort one another with those words. That's comforting to know. I'm not going to get the wrath of God 
I'm not going to have the wrath of God placed on me because Jesus Christ took it for me. Jesus also said uh, that if we believe in him, we will not come into condemnation, but we're passed from death unto life. But here's the thing. If you reject the truth of Christ, God's judgment will be bestowed upon you. God's wrath will be put on you. We will have to pay for our sin if we reject the payment of Christ that God has given us. While God is a God of love, and John's made that very clear, by the way, understand this, He is still a God of holiness. He is still a God of justice. And understand this morning that even in God's justice, and even in His judgment, did you know that He still expresses love? You know, if you're here this morning... And you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. You've never turned to Him. And you're just relying on works. Or you're just hardening your heart against God. You understand that you right now are experiencing His grace and His mercy. Because you're still breathing. So you still have a chance to turn to Christ. That right there is a wonderful display of the mercy and the grace of God. He is giving you a chance right now to turn to Christ. You can turn to Christ. And you can allow him to be the propitiation and the appeasement for your sin instead of taking it upon yourself. Man, thank the Lord for his mercy. Won't you take it today? Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And look at verse 2. It says in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 2, speaking of Jesus, says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And thank God, though, it says, And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hey, this propitiation, it's available to you. It's available for all, but unfortunately not all will receive Christ. Not all will receive this propitiation. So I want to ask you this morning, are you born of God? Are you born of God? Maybe you don't know. The Bible tells us, and John actually tells us, that you can know that you have eternal life. You understand, our sin is so awful, our sin is so grievous to God, it has put us at odds with Him, and He can have no part with sin. And our sin is costly, as we've seen many times. The, the, this sin costs us spiritual death. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death, and uh, we have earned death. We have earned separation from God. We have earned the wrath of God because of our sin. So if you would like this salvation, you need to trust in Christ and trust in His blood and Him alone. Nothing else. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. There is no other way to be reconciled with God except by Jesus Christ. So if you have not done this, if you have not trusted in Him to be the propitiation for your sin, receive Him today. Receive Him today. You need to accept this call by faith. I mean, His love and mercy is there. It's still here for now. But as I often say, eventually, His love and mercy runs out. So take His love and mercy and allow Him to be the propitiation for your sin. So up to this point, we've seen that if we're saved... God's love is in us. If we have accepted Christ and we, we've turned to Christ, it's inside of us. We've also seen in our second point here that the, the Father's love, it is deep. He proved it. 
as he ordered Christ to be crucified for our sins and, and, and to uh, appease the, the wrath of God because of our sin instead of placing his wrath on us. Now, this is something we don't deserve in any way, shape, or form. Your pastor, by the way, he doesn't deserve what God gave him. He doesn't deserve his love. I don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his love. So because this great love, though, is inside of us, it's been revealed to us, understand this morning that God expects that we in turn express the same love to one another. And that brings us to the final point. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 11. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Lastly, John tells us here that God's love is to be shown from us. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. As I mentioned earlier, we all like to talk about God's love. But showing it and putting it into practice is another story, isn't it? It is. John here, in the previous verses, he points to, his, to the historical act of Christ's death as a reason for other believers to love one another in the present. In fact, there are two specific words here I want to focus on just for a moment to help us understand what John is saying here. First, notice that word in verse 11, ought. The latter half there says, we ought. That word ought it simply means need. What John is saying that we ought to do, or what we need to do, it is an uh, indicative verb which is a command. It's a commanded action. John is commanding that we do this. What are we commanded to do? What do we need to do? What ought we to do? Love one another. Now this love that he's talking about, it is a continual action, and it means to have preference for, to wish well to, and to regard the welfare of. Now, by the way, it doesn't just mean to wish well to. The, the book of James talks about that, right? Where if uh, your brother has need of food and he uh, needs clothes, you say, well, I wish you well and I hope you get it, right? No, that's not what it's talking about here. It means also to have preference for and to regard the welfare of. So John here, he's in essence saying, hey, if you have experienced the love of God, then you are commanded to love and prefer one another. Let me ask you this morning, church, have you experience the love of God? If you're saved, then yes, you have. So guess what? You are commanded to love and prefer one another. A normal response to the great love of God is to simply show it to others. Because God's love is inside of us, and it's so great, and it is so vast, John is telling us what I said in the beginning, we need to express what's inside. It's in there, it's inside, but we need to express it. By way of illustration, just imagine if you had a pipe in your sink that was clogged and water was going into that pipe but it never came out of it. Guess what, Paul? The pipe's useless, isn't it? It's useless. Paul is a plumber, right? You, what would you do? You would fix it or you would simply replace it. And just so, listen, God puts love into us so that it might flow out. And if we do not allow God's love that he has put inside of us to flow out, our Christianity is useless. There's a lot of Christians whose Christianity is useless. And by the way, understand this. The world takes notice of Christians that don't love one another. And it's very unfortunate today 
But I've had a lot of lost people treat me much better than saved people do. Some saved people. And that's a sad thing. And by the way, that should never be the case because we should love. Why? Because love is of God. So it should be natural for us to love one another. So this is the application this morning. How do we express the great love of God? How do we love one another as John said, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is actually a place that we have not gone to yet in this series. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us exactly what love is and how it can be expressed by believers in Christ. And again, this is the application time. So this is, okay, how do we put this into practice? How do we love one another? How do we express what's inside? The, the Bible tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at verse 4. And we'll read down to verse 8. It says charity. And that word charity, of course, it means love. It says charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fall. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So this definition of love that is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it really does closely resemble the act of love that Christ showed on Calvary. This is what love looks like. This is what true love always points back to. It points back to the act of love that Christ showed us on Calvary. Now, uh, this love that we have inside of us, it should be pouring out of each of us to all believers. The love of God, it should be overflowing from inside of us out to other people. So I want to just look at these terms and see how they are applicable to us today. And there's a lot in this, so we're not going to dig deep into it, but man, I think we have some work to do. So as we look at this and we see what these different terms mean, I want you to think in your mind, how, Lord, how am I supposed to love other believers better? Not my neighbor, not the person two rows back from me. How, how do I love other people better? How do I love believers in Christ better? Look at verse 4 again. We're just going to go through these terms and see what they mean. Charity suffereth long. Pretty simple. What does that mean? Hey, it means that love endures a long time. It's not quick to depart. So understand, if God's love is in you, you are going to be long-suffering even to those that annoy you and even to those that hurt you. Ask yourself this question this morning, church. Have I run out of love towards any believer? Listen, true love is long-suffering. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're saved, God's love for you is long-suffering, amen? As you are his child, you continue to offend, and he still loves you. He shows love to you even when you sin and rebel. He shows love to you even when you grieve him. He doesn't give up on us, and guess what? We should not give up on anybody either. Real love is long-suffering. Not only that, but look at it there again, verse 4. It says, not only does charity suffer long, but it is kind. Are you kind to other believers? I already mentioned 
that I know some lost people that are kinder than me, to me than some saved people. And it should not be that way. But it is a simple fact that those that have the love of God in them should show forth kindness. We live in a, a very mean world. We live in a world that is very unkind, but that should never be true of a person that's in Christ because he showed us the ultimate act of kindness, again, when he died on the cross for our sins, and he is our example. Look also at verse 4 again. It says, Charity envieth not. You know, envy has done tremendous damage all throughout history, and it continues to damage the church today. We know that envy murdered Abel. Envy enslaved Joseph. Envy put Christ on the cross. Envy is destructive, and it is the opposite of love. Ask yourself this question. Do I envy another believer? Do I resent it when another believer gets a promotion, or if they get a blessing, or if they get something that I want? Hey, we shouldn't be envying people. We ought to be rejoicing with them. We shouldn't envy. If we envy, we're not showing love. Look also there. It says that charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. This means that true love does not look to boast and it's not self-centered. It kind of speaks of somebody that has a big head with no regard for other people. True love is focused on others and prefers other people and not themselves. Let me ask you this. Wasn't that how Jesus was on the cross? He, you know, he wasn't focused on what he wanted, but rather what we needed. I think Mike mentioned a few moments ago, not my will, but thine be done. Hey, if this cup can pass from me, Lord, please allow it to. But I'm not, I'm not going to do what, what I want. God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what these people need. Man, is our love like that? Look also, it says, verse 5, and I know some people are getting uncomfortable here. That's okay. <laughs> we should be uncomfortable, amen? You're going to hear the truth at this church. We need help. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. This goes along with kindness because the meaning of unseemly is simply uncourteous or rude. So those that love are going to be courteous to others, especially those that are of the household of faith. Look also in verse 5, seeketh not her own. Hey, this is being like Jesus Christ in the most basic way. Being an others-centered person instead of being a self-centered person. Instead of looking only out for ourselves, we love other people in our church and other believers enough to look out for them. As Paul wrote in Romans 12, 19, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Do you prefer others over yourself? Hey, listen, I said earlier, this is hard stuff, isn't it? This is hard. We need help. We need to pray. We need the Lord's help in this. Do we love one another like we should? Do we prefer one another? Are you just focused on yourself and the needs of your family? We should all prefer one another and show it with our actions. Look also, in the last part of verse 5, it says, Is not easily <laughs> provoked. <laughs> hey, are you easily provoked? Some of you are provoked right now. <laughs> Pastor's going too long. Hey, it's not even 12 o'clock yet. And yes, I know I started early and that's okay. Are you provoked? Easily provoked? What, is it, what does that mean? It goes right along with long-suffering because it means to irritate or make angry. And we all, at times, find ourselves easily provoked, don't we? 
We, we find ourselves easily irritated, again, with people that maybe are just plain annoying or they bother us in some way. We, we, get, we get provoked if somebody cuts us off in the line at Walmart, right? We just, how dare they, right? You know what that is? How dare they? Pride. It's not love. Hey, let's be forgiving. Let's not be easily provoked. It is a sin to be easily provoked and angered because it is not a display of love. When somebody in this church does something that bothers you, are you easily angered? Are you easily provoked? If we have love, like we should, we will not be easily provoked because, as the Bible tells us, love covers a multitude of sins. Look also there in the last part, the last few words of verse 5. It says, thinketh no evil. You know, our wicked thoughts are often something that we don't consider as sin, but the Bible puts a major emphasis on our thoughts. Your thoughts do matter. But what this means is simply this. Love does not remember wrong doings. How many of us have said, yeah, you know what? I, I've forgiven that person, but then they, we think about it. We remember their wrongdoings. It's so easy to hold on to past offenses and, and wrongdoings, but listen, God, if you're saved today, God has caused our sins to be made as far as the east is from the west. He's cast it into the deepest part of the sea. So who are you to hold on to pass offenses done to you? Who am I to hold on to pass offenses done to me? Look at verse 6. It says, rejoiceth not, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Those that love proper, properly will not be joyful when another person falters or fails. You know, the Bible tells us that when a brother in Christ falls, we are supposed to restore, not rejoice. Often this can be, this rejoicing for uh, when somebody falls can be seen in the political arena. If we were to see a Republican get caught up in a scandal, guess what? The other side, they're going to be happy and they're going to be amused. And by the way, vice versa. Okay? And, and by the way, you should not be involved in that. You should not be amused. But it should, it should not be that way with a believer, for another believer, especially because we are not in or of the world. We're not of the world. Instead, we should rejoice in the truth of God. Look also there in verse 7, it says, Beareth all things. This means that love covers all things. This includes wrongdoings, and much of these run together. Look also at the end of verse 7, it says, Endureth all things. The great thing about true agape love is that it endures forever. It doesn't stop. It continues regardless of the other person. And this truth is echoed as it closes out by saying that charity never faileth. So here's the basic gist of it, church. Listen, genuine love is not spoken. It's acted out. It's acted out. You can say all you want. I love so-and-so. I love my brothers in Christ. I love the church. Well, hey, let's act it out. Let's prove it by our actions. True love will lead to practical action. Now again, we're about to close, so just hold on a moment. <laughs> After going through all of these, again, I think it's safe to say that we all, your pastor included, has work to do. Amen? Don't we have work to do? Don't, don't you think we could love a little more? We need to ask the Lord to help us have His love be shed abroad in our hearts and in our lives even more. But as John explained how incredible this love is, he did this to help us see how deep his love is for us so that we in turn would find it difficult to do anything but show love. 
It's like, wow, God, you gave that love for me? You did this for me? I'm going to go pay it forward. I'm going to go show love to another person. And if we actively, if we want to actively love other people more, you know what you need to do? Draw closer to God. Because He is love. Warren Worsby rightly stated that the deeper we go into the meaning of the cross, the greater our love for Christ will be, and then the greater our active concern for one another will be. That is why John showed us how great the love of God is, because Christ is our example. So in order to love more, in order to have this Christ-like love, in order to love as God tells us to love, we need to look to the cross. We need to look to the ultimate act of real love as our example. And I want you to know this morning, listen, you can think of somebody in your mind that is a great example of love. Hey, listen, that human, any human, doesn't matter how well they love, they are not to be your example of love. I'm not to be your example of love. Christ is to be your example of how to love because he showed genuine, selfless love and we are to do that for others in return and to be selfless. So as we get ready to close, listen, he's filled us as his children with his love. He's shown us this great undeserved love by being the propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God for our sins. And now he commands us to give it to others. So look, do you really love other believers? Do you show and act out genuine concern for them? Do you desire and actively serve other people? Do you forgive as Christ forgives? Are you expressing what is inside and what has been given to you? Think about this. What ways must I love others better? We're going to take a few moments in just a minute to have a time of prayer.